Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Passages of Summer edition of the 7 a.m. Novelist. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now, we all know that the early pages of a novel or story are really difficult to get right. So this summer, we're discussing the choices that went into a range of authors' first pages in terms of scene, structure, language, etc., and how those choices might help you with your own first pages. Today, I'm really happy to have Sarah Johnson Allen, who is going to share the first pages of her debut novel, Down Here We Come Up, which is one of the best titles I've heard in a really long time, Sarah. I'm very excited for this. It will be released in August. So good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Thank you so much for being on the show. Sarah Johnson Allen was raised mostly, she says, in North Carolina. Her first novel, Down Here We Come Up, is the winner of the 2022 Big Moose Prize and is forthcoming from Black Lawrence Press in August. In 2018, she was awarded the Marianne Russo Award for Emerging Writers by the Key West Literary Seminar for her novel in progress. And so that was actually for this particular novel, Down Here We Come Up. And I was talking to her before the show she said, and I think a lot of you writers might be in this same situation, that before she won this prize, she was about ready to turn it in, to give up. So I'm going to ask her more about that, because I think it's important to hear about those moments when you're just <laughs> ready to burn the whole thing down, and then you get one little one little help uh, that keeps you going. Um, in 2019, she won another award. She received the Stockholm Writers Festival First Pages Prize. And so again, we're going to be hearing from those first pages. She has also been awarded McDowell Fellowships and an artistic grant from the Elizabeth George Foundation. She is not grading papers or chasing after her three kids. She likes to write about place and how it shapes us. All right, Sarah, love having you with us. Now, can you give us an overview of the book so we have some context of the first pages when we hear them from you? Sure. Thank you so much for inviting me. First pages are a passion of mine, an obsession maybe, so I can't wait to talk about all of that. Um, but down here, we come up is about a woman named Kate Jessup, who's 26 years old, and she's really escaped a life of um, poverty and violence and her own mistakes when she was very young in eastern rural North Carolina. And when her twin brother gets into Harvard, which is sort of like winning the lottery in a lot of ways, um, she runs away from home and meets and, and goes with him to Cambridge. And they're there for about eight years, um, and they kind of, you know, she ends up dating someone from a Boston Brahmin family who is a Harvard professor, and they just end up in this world completely unlike the one they left, completely unlike. Her brother loves it. He would burn the whole place down. He's never going back. They're estranged from their mother, um, Jackie Jessup, who is a con artist. Uh, but Kate isn't quite as comfortable in this new life as her twin brother is. So one day, um, Jackie, their mother, calls and um, says to Kate, I need you to come home. And Kate's like, there's no way I'm ever going home. I don't know what you're talking about. And she says, Jackie says, I have information on the daughter you gave up for adoption when you were 17. And wow. um, this has really haunted Kate. No one wanted her to give this baby up for adoption when she was 17, not her mother, not the, her boyfriend, but she did. And it's kind of haunted her. And her mother kind of um, lures her home with the promise of that information. But Jackie being the con artist she is, um, Kate is not surprised when she gets home um, to rural North Carolina to learn her mother wants something in return. Um, she is surprised to see that her mother is very sick. She doesn't expect that. Um, she's not particularly surprised when she realizes that her mother's running a safe house, in quotes, um, for migrant mm. workers. Um, because her mother always has an angle. And she learns pretty quickly that what her mother wants 
is for Kate to go to down to the border uh, to Mexico and Juarez and to transport three children back over the border, which Kate's like, no, <laughs> like there's no scenario where that happens. But the children um, belong to a woman named Maribel uh, Reyes, who is kind of like Jackie, the con artist business partner. They're running the safe house for migrant workers of people who are coming across the border. They're making their way across the Southern United States. And in places like rural, rural North Carolina, those people who are starting new lives, they're looking for jobs, are often employed by like big agriculture, right? So Kate has had some problems up in Cambridge. She can't really go back, but but she's standing in her mother's home where there's uh, you know varying degrees of human trafficking. She also realizes there's something more going on than just the safe house. And she has to kind of get to the bottom of that. Like there's other things happening. Um, I'm not sure. I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> okay, great. Wow, that sounds incredible. Okay, let's hear these first pages. Okay. So I'll read um, the prologue and then I'll read the first page, which is really short. And then I'll read the first page of the first chapter. Jackie Jessup's apology to her daughter, Kate, refused to get lost in the stagnant air of her death. It rustled the tobacco leaves in the field beside her bungalow. It snaked through silver turkey houses and ripe hog lagoons before traveling across the acreage, being clear-cut for subdivisions east of Fayetteville. From there, it moved way down south under concrete overpasses, caught by sinking bayous on one side and rising seas on the other. The apology skimmed the rubble of the neighborhoods left ruined and rotting after the Category 5 one year before when all the rainfall broke the levees and everything low was left to drown. Jackie's words moved west across a country split into ill-fitting parts. Some of the divisions made by gray lines on a map, some by beliefs handed down. Other breaks were created by different angles on the same story because as Jackie had said many times, a person cannot stand in two places at once. Use that to your advantage. Near Fort Worth in the hot, dry middle, Jackie's apology lagged, barely moved at all, although the words were still there. I shouldn't have kept you from your daughter, but you kept me from mine. It was as close to an apology a woman like Jackie could come by. In the end, Jackie's daughter heard none of it. Kate did not hear that which had traveled so far, so fast, too late. At the moment of her mother's death, Kate was driving over the bridge of the Americas into Juarez. She was crossing a border so wide it could only be partially sewn shut with razor wire, surveillance cameras, and border police. For the first time in her life, Kate did not swallow every word her mother meant for her. And then chapter one. Kate learned from Jackie all the different ways to calculate a value. There was a thing's market value, the perceived value, the true value, the if the buyer was drunk value. There was the value of everything that fell between the cracks of the car seats of men staying over. Kate and her twin brother Luke had the job of reaching down into the tight spaces for escape cash or jewelry. They could at least swipe a few CDs to sell, but not so many that the man, whoever he was this time, would notice he had been picked through. Early on, Jackie insisted her children pocket food from the free lunch program at school for dinner. Two for one, she called it. 
She switched the price tags on items in the grocery store until the food line introduced barcode scanners. She got away with it at the Piggly Wiggly for nearly another year, but eventually even the older grocery stores caught up. Jackie saw everything, like the time she noticed from the back pew on a Sunday morning in March when it was just starting to get good and hot, the preacher's wife sweating through the back of her shirt, unfortunately white, showing a series of bruises across her shoulder blades. That warranted Jackie's eyes narrowing slightly. The church bulletin flipped over and a note made in her formal old-fashioned cursive. That was their short-lived period as free will Baptist before they had been Seventh Day, and then just run-of-the-mill Southern Baptist. Jackie eventually gave it all up. Jackie eventually gave it up altogether because time was money, and unless she could pull something back from the little she put in the offering plate, she might as well focus her resources elsewhere. I'll stop there. Okay, fabulous. Um, so I just love this first sentence does so much of what we need the beginning of a book to do. Jackie Jessup's apology to her daughter, Kate, refused to get lost in the stagnant air of her death. So we already have conflict um, in that very first sentence. We have regret and we have change because she's dying or she's already dead. Um, and you do that all in a single sentence, which is very impressive. And then because you are a writer about place, you move into the place after that. It rustled the tobacco leaves in the field beside her bungalow. It snaked through silver turkey houses. It's absolutely gorgeous. And what I feel like you're doing there is um, Ben Percy in his book, Thrill Me, talks about energizing place or energizing uh, description. And he talks about it by creating movement to go through place and description because oftentimes it's stagnant. So I know I'm, I'm just trying to think of the author that it's not Ben, but it's another author who uses an owl to take us through place. And then there's also Amanana Forna's novel Happiness, and she introduces her location of London through a, through a fox that's actually running loose in the city streets. And it's a wonderful way to introduce place there. And you're doing it through voice that this mother's apology is actually winding her way through a place. So talk to us about this. Were these always your first pages? No. <laughs> Good, because if they were, <laughs> I would be very angry at you. <laughs> um, no, not at all. Um, so first pages are a really important part of my process. I don't know that I understood this or thought about this consciously. But I have huge gaps when I'm not writing. Mm. This has taken me almost 15 years to write, um, mm. it, partly because I teach. So that when during the entire semester, there's almost no chance I'm writing. Mm -hmm. So I think what happens is when I have to like escape my house, I always think, oh, I can stay in my house. Like I'm in like a shared workspace that I sprung for this week because I was like, after a week, I was like, nope, all I do is dishes and laundry here. I've got to get out of here. But one of the kind of things I do is like, I would look at my first pages and read them through every single time I sat down to write. Mm -hmm. Like regardless of I'm chapter 20, if I'm writing the ending, I would start with the first pages every time. Um, and I would revise them. And um, and that's really maybe mostly in the last, it's like kind of a blur, um, five to seven years of half this writing process. But I find that it's, all, I do the same thing with music. I listen to a single song on repeat a lot of times. Mm. Like the song will change. 
but I get that sound in my ear. I get that voice in my ear. And so I do that with my first pages a lot. But as a result of that, I have a lot of different versions. I actually jumped on like, um, I would jump back on versions and looked at like a 2013 version. None of this. She's with her brother, like in a Jewish deli, like completely nothing. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, does that make sense? Like, actually, I have one more story about that. Just to kind of, again, part of my process, and it's kind of, um, yeah, it's kind of fast, right? Like if I read through those first pages every time, you're talking about maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes every single time I sit down. But in 2019, when I won, won that first pages prize with the Stockholm Writers Festival, I went back and I counted how many versions, dated versions I had in my book. And I didn't do it for today. <laughs> um, it was like 70 at that point. Yeah. And yeah. I don't feel like I did a, I changed some spelling or I changed, I mean, like, you know, like a significant period of writing and I dated, redated that version. So I can't tell you how many times I've like woven a new thread or like re, I don't know, move my hand across the fabric to fix mm -hmm. it a million times. I mean, I feel like I do that, especially if I like the tone and something that I've, I'm doing in those first pages, because it just reminds me, okay, this is what this book will be, or this is this is what I'm going for in this book. This is this is the height. Um, and so I kind of remind myself and it, and it kind of creates a, a cohesion with the rest of the book. But it sounds like you change your first pages really significantly. You aren't just, you know, diddling with uh, sentences and, and language choices. You're actually creating different scenes, different. I think that's what happens over time, like over yeah. a decade, right? But I don't set out to do that when I like if I'm just going to I use it like a compass, like you just said some height and that's like this is the height. This is what I want to match the rest of it, too. And I think that's what I'm doing. It's like almost yeah. like holding a compass up because I can get really frustrated with the reality of what words sound like when you first draft. Yeah. So I can like I sit down, I write chapter four, I write new scene and it sounds really dumb and I hate it. And I'm wondering, why am I doing this? I should immediately stop wasting my life in you know, front of a computer on a beautiful day. So when I read those first pages, I think that really sound like what I want to sound like, it makes me not despair about chapter four. That sounds not so good. Right. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I think I do that too. Um, and it's interesting because, so two other authors that um, I've interviewed already, um, Jane Roper, I just interviewed her yesterday, and I think that will have already played by the time your interview plays. She um, she worked on a novel for five years and she wasn't able to get it published. And so she decided, you know, screw this. I'm going to write my next draft as quickly as possible. And she just forced herself to go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And, and she did get it done rather quickly and she got it published. Henriette Lazaridis, on the other hand, I think had um, attempted several books all of them were very good, but she wasn't really quite able to get them across the finish line. So what she decided was to slow down <laughs> and go into a more contemplative place. Um, and actually, when you look at their first pages, Henriette's is feels a little bit more like yours. It's very rich in place. It's very rich in description. Um, it's sinking us into a moment, whereas Jane's is just running and it's fun and it's an ex explosive in terms of seeing so it's also about the diff the kind of book that you prefer um yeah. and what you're really what you're really looking for so did you always did you always have this as a prologue 
Mm, that's a great question. <laughs> I'd remember 15 so, years back. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's changed so much. No, because when I went back and looked at that this morning, I was like, what was my earliest? I went to like that 2013 thing. This is not there. I think that I had to write it through so many times. Something I noticed this morning with that opening pages from 2013 is how very focused it is on her brother and her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And this book, somewhere like a few years ago, probably around 2018, really became about these three women. It mm-hmm. stopped being about, should she choose her old boyfriend, who's more trouble and dangerous in the South, <laughs> or her new Boston Brahmin boyfriend? Like that's, I started this, I think when I was close to 26. It's like almost 20 years later. I, I was also freaked out by Kate's 26 and I was reading through last night, Jackie's 46. I'm 46. <laughs> so it's <was> like, <laughs> I'm now the age of the mother who's dying. Anyway, I forgot what I was talking about. Some, well, what was I saying? I mean, <laughs> I, it feels like, it feels like you, ri- I mean, this is an altogether separate book. Um, you've written multiple books and this is, <laughs> yes. this is so, one of them. And what I need to say about that is like, I would, I, I have, I can't express to you how many times I've written up to 120,000 words and some potential agent would be like, well, can you do this? And I'd pull it back out. It's such a long process. And I had an MFA, like in 2005, I graduated with the MFA, primarily focusing on short story. I just did not know how to write a novel in the time it took for this to come out. I've written another novel, kind of like what you were describing, a much faster process. Mm -hmm. Um, But I am like a language first writer. So I think that, I think that I like writing like that, but you're, I could not read a whole book written like that. Even, I, yeah, I love that, but I can't read a whole book. Like you do need to get to scene. You do need to get to conflict and motion. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's something about this book. It is, oh, I know another thing I would say about this book. I would always hear people say, oh, you know, authors have so many books in their drawer that never worked. Like a really good friend of mine, Elena Dillon, she's like, I think she's like three which always haunted me because I'm like, okay, I'm like kind of slow over here working full time, kids, et cetera. Um, But I think what happened was, I think instead of picking up a new book, I just kept rewriting this, but it's completely different than the first one. Mm -hmm. So there's, there aren't dead, there's not a dead novel in my, but there are a lot of dead versions in my drawer, if that makes sense. Yeah. And they sound so, so different that they could almost be other novels, I, w- I would argue. Um, so as you go through in this first prologue, it's interesting. So you you tantalize us with, I mean, it is rich with language. Absolutely. And that's what I think I just loved it. I just, I just wanted to drink it in, but the, the it's, it's not also, it's not a, it's not a author being precious with language because there's so much movement here. There's so much uh, sensory um, images here um, that we feel we're almost in scene um, because we are moving so much. Um, and then you also tantalize us with this apology that we actually have to wait for until halfway down the page, which mm-hmm. off brings up a question for the reader. And, and, and then when we finally get the apology, so the apologies from the mother is, I shouldn't have kept you from our, your daughter, but you kept me from mine. And we're like, oh, that's not an apology. <laughs> oh, this is a difficult relationship. It's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, did you always have that relationship from the get-go with her mother? Yes. Yeah. In fact, I would say it was even more um, even more animosity. And in, in the most recent version in the last year or so, I would I would say... I don't know why I, I maybe they they understood each other slightly more um 
but they're still at odds. Like she has no business trusting her mother and she doesn't trust her mother. Her mother always wants something, but maybe I, and, and that was funny because when editors re- would reply and be like, she's the most awful person in the world. Why would anyone read a book about her? I was like, I mean, I love reading about bad people, but then other people were like, she's the best character in the book. Jackie is. And I agree. Like I, I kind of, un- I mean, we should all understand all our characters to some degree, even though hopefully we're not like them. Um, yes. I, yeah, I am, she's yeah, I mean, even so in the in the first sentence of chapter one, Kate learned from Jackie all the different ways to calculate a value. And my initial response was, hmm, that's not really a mothering <laughs> lesson or any sort of parent lesson. Um, maybe you get that lesson from your employer, uh, but that is not a mothering lesson. It's interesting, you know, this whole this whole issue of bad mothers. We I had a um one of our most amazing novel incubator students, she's just a, a writer on fire. And she wrote a book in which there's a there's a quote unquote bad mother. And um, she had an, um, an agent tell her that she just couldn't sell it. Um, and, and so, and so the whole crew of everyone that's friends with her just threw all these examples of other books that had bad mothers and that, because <laughs> actually it's yeah. become a phenomenon. I think that it, um, people are kind of tearing that uh, limitation away and are actually become very interested in he the gets, bad mother why like I'm not a very good yeah. mother I love my children I die for them I do anything for them but I don't think anyone would look at come observe my household and say I'm a good mother I think that also there's a really big cultural piece here about southern parenting and social class and parenting it's which is like you're not necessarily doing your child any favors when you say you're perfect and you can have anything you want Right. Like, so Jackie can't say that to her children because it's not true. So something I was trying to capture in this book is like, especially when you don't have a lot of resources, like, how do you get them? You can't get them the way, like Luke actually breaks the mold. He gets to go to college, but like, that's not something that would, I don't know. So I was trying to like tell the story of this woman who she's not a particularly good mother, but she's living in circumstances where she just, I don't know. And me having moved from even like not even talking about social class, but like Southern respect and discipline is really different than it is in my experience in New England and maybe Mm -hmm. in this year, in these years. I I don't know if that makes sense, but I was trying to kind of capture that. There's something I was reading, rereading last night about how Southern advice is like very like you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off. You can mess up a two car funeral. It's like sort of like we're self-deprecating. I don't know how to explain it. Um, So I was trying to capture a lot of that. But but I do think it points, they both kind of seem like awful people. And it seems like there's a fine line, what you were saying. Yes, we want to read about people who are making bad decisions. But if they're truly like, (laughs) we kind of like lose our desire to stay with them for 200, 300 pages, right? Yeah. But but as long as they're interesting, as long as there's, there's something... Because I already I sense a kind of brokenness in Jackie, which I think that kind of brokenness um, would usually promise vulnerability as well, which makes me interested in the character. You know, it's interesting, too. Yeah, they all have their reasons. Um, You know, I have the same experience. I mean, my work comes my first two books were based in the Midwest, and I Mm -hmm. felt like I was basically translating um, personalities and place to. Um, a kind of New England publishing 
world. Um, and it was different. And I didn't expect it. Uh, I was like, oh, I have to do this. So um, uh, the, it, it's, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and, place. And, and, it's, like, it's like, yeah, it's place. Absolutely. Now, when you said that agents, when they read this, um, wanted to pull something particular out from it when you'd hit like, I don't know, page 150 or something, and then you had to start all over again. What were you saying with that? That you, what was your experience when looking for agents? So the fastest way to tell that story is that many agents had interest, but wouldn't necessarily like sign me. It's not like if someone yeah. was like, I'm gonna sign you, right? Um, and they would suggest, I, like, I really love your work, but, and I remember actually when I was at McDowell, someone was like, I really love your work, but we need to hear more from Luke. So I wrote 50 straight up pages from Luke's POV, the brother, which now sit in like a file somewhere, right? Um, I, again, I think all the, or being asked to write something or being asked to change something. I remember one agent who was like, I love this book, but there's, but I don't, I want more about the mother-daughter relationship and less guns and drugs. And I was like, I refuse to tell the story about human trafficking and about, it's not about sort of these flows of people and drugs and got like, this is this ecosystem. It's an ecosystem yeah. that's all connected in many ways. Um, now she was right. She's like, take the drugs and guns out and I'll be back. I'll, we'll talk. And I was like, I'm not taking the drugs and guns out, but she was right that the heart of the story was with those three women and wanting their children. Um, so it's very much about mothering, but not like with, your, but your children aren't here. So mm -hmm. it's like these connections that we have. So what actually happened for me? So again, I was querying, I probably queried like 70 agents, got a lot of good feedback, got a lot of full requests. And the way I actually got, got, did get my agent is when I won the Key West literary seminar, um, Jenny, my, my agent, Jenny emailed me and said, Hey, I saw you you won this. Are you, do you have representation? Um, can you send it to me? So one thing I will say is I do know this is true. If you're getting published in literary magazines or you're winning contests, agents watch those things. If you're in an MFA program, they often will go visit and be like, who's here? <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So, and I'm sure that my, uh, you know, excessively overwritten over and over first pages have helped me win those prizes because that's what a judge is reading first, right? Um, so she reached out. She said, this sounds great. I do you have a representation. I sent it to her. She was like, I love it. But something's missing. I don't know what. Um, if you revise it, send it back. So I would say like another year, maybe two later, maybe a year. I sent her a new version. She's like, this is really good, but something's not quite right. You know, so mm -hmm. and she did give me feedback. Um, and on the third time I sent it to her. And I, I was actually at a friend's house and I remember she called. She's like, this is a completely different book. It's like, yes, I know. I've rewritten it like a hundred thousand times. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then she, then she signed me. And then we went out on submission like a month later with it. So what was so, it that you think she was looking for that you were able to? I don't know. I'd have to mm -hmm. go back. I mean, I, I guess if I really wanted to dissect it, I could figure it out. My guess is I was sending it out too early and I'm a yeah. very good writer. So the writing's really beautiful, but that doesn't make a novel. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was I'm really a short story writer. <laughs> it's like my truest heart, but now I've written two novels, whatever. Um, 
So I don't know if I could put my finger on it, except for I do think I go to a lot of writing conferences and as much as none of us want to hear it, or it's just so hard to hear or understand it, is time and multiple revisions where you set it down for like three months, I think for me, are what were necessary. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of mm-hmm. had to put it down, rewrite it. Um, I will say, this is more, this is the long, I have the longest publishing story of all time. So I'll try to keep it brief. But so she did send it out on submission. We had editors who took it to the table, like at their publishing houses, but it didn't get like picked up. Um, Lots of really good feedback, some negative feedback that none of it really matched up. Like we don't like the ending, which I was like, well, I'll fix the ending. What do you want me to do? Um, It did not get picked up by uh, a big press. And I want to say, so I was pretty dejected and sad for sure. Then the pandemic hit. Then I was really dejected and sad. I was kind of like, is this how it ends? Me again, sitting in front of a computer. I have these three beautiful children. We should be out somewhere. I don't know. Um, and when I sent it out myself to real to small presses and independent presses, places that like they don't want an agent to send it necessarily, I definitely remember some of the editor's feedback was, and I think you said this, there's a lot going on in this book. There's like a hun- there's a bunch of books in this book. Like there's all these things happening. And I went back through and stripped it out a lot. Yeah. And so now what used to be like 20 pages is a single line about her twin brother. Mm-hmm. It's impossible mm-hmm. to think about when you're in the process of writing. But if I really look back and I'm honest with myself, things that it took me 20 pages to process are now a single line. And that single line is really good. But we're right. not spending 20 pages reading about the chandelier at Charlie's like Cambridge house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, I, I'm telling, I tell writers that I work with all the time. I tell myself, take a break, mm-hmm. take a break. And the majority of them don't do it. It's so hard <laughs> to do. <laughs> it's so hard to do unless you're actually forced to do it, unless you like don't sell the book or get stuck, or there's a major, you know, worldwide uh, catastrophe happening. Um, uh that kind of forces you to do it and then you're able to see. And I've, I've also gone through that simplification process too. Um, my agent tends to tell me, Michelle, you don't have to try to do everything in, in each book all at once. <laughs> but it's so fun to try. But yes, they're always like, no, stop. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder too, if you were talking about, so this issue of guns and drugs, you it sounded like you also balanced that out by growing the relationship of the mother and, and the daughter and then her daughter. It sounds like those are the three women um, or the yeah. Women, but, so the three women are Jackie, who's the con artist, her daughter, Kate, but then this woman, Maribel, who's from Juarez, who's like a business right. partner to Jackie. Right. And so she, growing, growing the human relationships um, in terms of character to give that kind of human background to, to the larger concerns that you're writing about might've been part of it too. Cause I think sometimes when we're interested in different issues, uh, we forget about the people that are at the heart of it. Um, now you said your new book is going faster or it went faster. So what happened there? Um, I wish I should have written this down before. What's the name of, I listened to your podcast. So I feel like you've mentioned it before. It's someone's book on craft on how to write a book, but it's like with cards. Do you know who I'm talking about? Um, yeah, well, let's see. Um, um, Butler has a um, essay about his, his book is Robert Olin Butler. His book is from where you dream. And then he writes about writing with cards um, it wasn't him, it was a woman, but I'll send you the name so you could put it in the notes or, or okay. something. 
because I was like, never again. Like, oh, I, story I, genius. Story yes, genius. it was that. It was that. Yeah. So while it might have its limitations or whatever, that helped me figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I did a, I remember hearing Jennifer Haig, I think um, at the Tennessee Williams, like literary festival, she had said like my first book took forever. My second one, I wasn't going to do that. So it was much more organized. So I set out to do that. I will say that I still had to like rewrite, like we're on round three with my agent where she's like, this is so good, but, um, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. ah. so, but I, I think I, so I did more pre-writing with that book. I, instead of trying to tell the story across like 10 years, it's a story across pretty much, it has like a lot of back flashback, but it's really something that happens like in a few weeks. Like I just tried to stay more focused, which I am not a focused person. So not easy. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I don't know. And and also like, it's just like those people with three novels in their drawer or me with a million versions of the same story, that is practice like that. You're learning how to do it better. Yep. Um, So I think it did go faster for that reason. And also I'm more comfortable now and by necessity because of semesters or whatever put I have to put it down and then when yeah. I come back and look at it I understand it better I, I think I still have that same struggle like the, when you said your agent says like you're dealing with too many things like I I definitely do too and the most recent feedback is like we know you're trying to talk about political things and we we get it like we get it but can you like <laughs> can you yeah. they, don't, they don't say tone it down like they're just sort of like but I think what you said is right I keep trying to tell the story of like this big but I need to focus on the people I'm talking about. So that's mm-hmm. where I am now with that second manuscript. But it's hard. You, it takes so much time. It's hard because you get interested in that context or that backstory or that background um, that gives your front story so much power. Mm, that's so- you need them both, but the front story, you still got to have the damn front story and you've got to, and you've got to have it there. And what's good about story genius is that she makes you slow down and really figure out the character's emotional um, workings. Um, and, I, and that's something I wasn't like, I could come to it through reversion, revision, revision, but even someone with an MFA who was trained for like writing, I could not, I came pretty late to understanding and maybe just from some of the sessions I had gone to or podcast I listened to or whatever, that there's something always the character wants in every scene. There's, and maybe it was story genius. Like the character mm-hmm. wants something, something's in their way. I think there's a lot of craft about this, but I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. Well, probably my professors were like, told me that and I ignored them if I know myself. Um, but, and she's good at what does the character emotionally want? Mm-hmm. And what does the character like concretely want? So that yes. those two match. Yeah. And those are in every scene and they yes. determine every scene and you can't that, forget it in every scene. That helped yeah. me infinitely because I, again, I'm, I'm like a, like a, I write for language for my own pleasure. It's for language. It's like, what can I do with these words? But as a reader, I'm impatient. Like I, yeah. I'm not a slow patient reader. Like I want to yeah. get scooped up. I want to be pulled in. Yeah. And I've also found that when it's not clear what the character wants, or if the character is not acting towards that in some way, if they're just a passive observer, that they also become invisible on the page. And I don't understand them or know them. So they're almost missing, almost missing there. Okay. 
I think there's a lot here for the writers listening to unpack and use in their own first pages. So I really appreciate that, Sarah. Um, everyone, I need to get you to your writing desk. So I hope you've learned and listened um, and figured out some things for your own first pages. Now you can find our full schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can subscribe there for updates. You can also find our full range of podcast episodes on that page, including episodes from our past two crazy long writing challenges. There's so many writers that have wonderful, wonderful um, advice for you, for you as writers to use. And I would go back and look for those. You can also find those on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and review our podcast so we can reach other listeners. Okay, Sarah, one last question. If you have advice that you give to authors about their own first pages, what would you tell them? I would I would say they're worthy of a lot of attention. Um, that's that's what an agent's going to look at. It's what a reader's going to look at. Um, they 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 really matter, I think. But they're also but you can really enjoy them too, like putting on cozy PJs every time you sit down and just like read reread through them. Um, it like kind of connects you back to your work, so it's kind of like a vehicle for that. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being with us. And thank you, everyone, for listening.